We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at Space 1999, Series 2, Episode, The Tabor. All the sexy women of Alpha are seen spending the day in their bikinis, sunning themselves and rubbing oil all over each other. And then, suddenly, things start to pop up all over Alpha. Oh my. Things that discharge in people's faces. Oh, I. Maybe I'd better start that recap over again. Tabor, the traitor, arrives at Moonbase Alpha peddling his wares. That is not a euphemism. The man is so flamboyant he's almost a caricature. <laughs> but beneath that happy-go-lucky exterior, there beats the heart of a drunken lecher. And he lets Maya know he's got his eyes and paws on her. Maya reciprocates with a paw of her own. Tabor's ship is powered by a jump drive, a hyperspace drive that can take him anywhere in the universe. Koenig thinks, if only we had jump drive technology, we could go home. Tabor even agrees, but unfortunately the Alphans have traveled to new galaxies and don't even know where home is. And while there's no place like home, if you don't know where it is, you're still lost. Koenig is desperate to get the technical details of the jump drive and is willing to trade anything that Alpha has, including the entire moon, complete with its antique pre-interstellar space travel technology, which will no doubt be of great interest to an intergalactic trader who deals in beauty. Instead, he wants Maya. Koenig agrees. But only to build an exact replica of Maya. Tabor agrees. Tabor lies, of course, and after an elaborate ruse, he abducts Maya. Fortunately, although Earth technology and brains cannot even comprehend hyperspace, one of their limpet transmitters apparently can send and receive messages into and out of hyperspace. That's good because Koenig has attached one to Tabor's ship. He bids a fond farewell to Maya and gives her a cleverly coded message to turn herself ugly. She does, and Tabor lets her go because he really is that shallow. The end. So, um, was thinking about this episode and thinking, you know, mm-hmm. what, kind of, what kind of tack can we take to make, um, make a, a, an in-depth, uh, comprehensive and interesting conversation? And I we think can't. I've, I think I've come up with a perfect question. I do. I really do. Oh, indeed. So, Ben, how's the weather been around your place? Well, actually, no, it's, it's not too bad. Um, but then, you know, I don't think the weather's going to vary that much from your place to mine since we only live about a mile and a quarter from each other. I, I, yes, but the weather at my place has been very nice. I mean, quite noteworthy. Uh, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, the weather's been, no, I'm, I'm not, I mean, the weather's been really nice beautiful. too. It's been I mean, been a bit overcast. Um, which I actually kind of like because maybe it, it kind of feels like now we're going into uh, a proper autumn. Yes, yes, yes. It has been very, it has been very almost autumn-like here in our, in our bit of the desert. It's it's been quite nice. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't as successful as I'd hoped. All right, no. So right. let let's okay. Well, I I got a question. <laughs> okay, who's Fire. the more shallow idiot, Tabor or Tony? Oh goodness gracious me! Have I got some words to say about Tony in the course of this episode? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, do we just jump to the last line, practically, of the story? Go for it. I mean, I couldn't believe this. So, so Maya turns herself ugly. And once again, I would have hated to have to be the casting agent on that. Uh, looking for <laughs> ugly actress. <clears throat> you, ma'am, you're ugly enough. Uh, <clears throat> anyway. And comes back. She gets released because she's ugly and that's shallow. And she comes back. 
and says something to the effect of, this, thank you, Commander, you were right when you told me he only surrounds himself with things of beauty. And Tony, Tony, for crying out loud, says, it's lucky you don't qualify. Oh, I know. That- I saw that and thought, that's, wow, that's that's just mean. That is, that is, I'll tell you what, uh, that is, um, when I was in uh, high school, earlier, maybe a sophomore, I think, and and I was in this class, and we were at <clears throat> science table, so four people at the table, and there was this girl, I'm going to name her, because <clears throat> she's probably out there in the world somewhere, and I'm sure she's listening to this podcast, and she's very pretty, and she was younger than me, but she, she was kind of, I, I kind of liked her, yeah, you know, but for some reason, I simply could not not be an ass to her, in exactly that same way, although not as bad as that. But it just somehow, literally, sophomoric humor, because mm-hmm. I was a sophomore. I mean, the definition of sophomoric humor. And when I watched that, I said, I cannot believe that an adult writer wrote that line of dialogue, even in the 1970s. Ha- has to have been a high schooler. Yeah. I think they got the crew in from uh, the Star Lost. Star Lost. Lost. Yep. Yeah, to write that, because that line was just... And then, you know, a second later, they're bumping heads together and laughing. It's not even funny. I mean, well, it's it, not funny I can't imagine. I can't walk out on him. No, I mean, I, I can't imagine um, e- even uh, an adult writer actually uh, tackling that one scene and, and writing that one line. It is that it, it is that offensive. To me, and and I I don't believe that this is a case of oh this is a different era back then. No, I I just don't believe that. I, I mean, it's it's just it, it's just awful. It was it was wrong then. It's wrong now, and it was wrong then. And mm-hmm. it, it just like wow, Tony. I mean, there's there's playing. I really dig you, but I'm playing hard to get, or I'm trying. Oh, not this to wasn't think, it. But that was not it. No, that was not it. That was just. This is being this a is, jerk. This was just like a this episode was a turd mm-hmm. and that was the that wasn't even a cherry on top of the turd. That was another turd spurt on top yep. of the turd. Maya should just turn into something and shred him to pieces. I would have liked it. Oh, I'll tell you. That was yeah. Yeah, I mean the the rest of the episode he was a little jealous here, a little suspicious. At least he was suspicious. Yes, but every time he has any kind of a relationship or needs to talk to Maya about something, he always comes off as an utter ass. Yes, he he, he really does. And clearly, they dig each other. Oh, yeah. And she knows that he likes him. Oh, you know, everyone on Alpha knows. I mean, look at how they were playing with him at the end there where, where Helena and, and Maya were you know, when they were they were making comments about the table, but every time they would, they would look over at Tony. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was clearly, clearly meant to be baiting him. And maybe, maybe that's the excuse for him trying to make that line. Because he knew they were digging him and, and I mean, taking. So he knew that him. he could get away with so it he then? Could, yeah, it's still misjudged. That's it's, still wrong. It's still wrong. It's totally misjudged. But yeah, no, it was, it was an awful, it was an awful thing. Um, I mean, I could see that maybe between a long-time married couple, maybe, if they're especially if they're known for that kind of humor. But at this stage of their quote-unquote relationship, oh, heavens no. No, no, no. No, Maya should just go find someone else at this point. <clears throat> Alan. Alan would be a much better catch. Yes, he would be. He would. He's not as, you know, dark-haired and Italian-looking, but he's, um, yeah. Oh. <sighs> Okay. Now, do you remember in the first series, we had a couple of conversations, short ones, because they're not very interesting, but but short ones about them dropping articles on titles. So instead of a matter of life and death, it's matter of matter life, of and, life death. and death. And there yeah. was a couple of others like that, where the, the common phrase would have the or at or uh, or <laughs> a <laughs> that letter thing, the first mm-hmm. one uh, in it, and they dropped them, which seemed a little either pretentious or artsy. 
or artsy pretentious. And now they're making up for it. They're making up with it because at what point did they ever call him the The. Tabor? Yeah, the is his actual first name. Tabor is his last. Oh, Mr. Tabor. No, just Tabor. Just Tabor. Call me the for a friend. Well, it didn't say that on his intergalactic trader's license. Mm. It just said Tabor. Tabor. Inconvenient English, no less. Yes. Yes, very much so. <laughs> I, I cannot... I cannot express how bad the you know, premise the weird thing of this is, episode is. Yeah, I remember actually watching this one as a kid. And I remember being amused by it. Because, for the most part, it's not meant to be taken seriously. I mean, okay. this is... I mean, he comes in as a very jovial character. I mean, he's sort of like... Um, I, I kind of get the feeling that he was intended to be like a cross between Harry Mudd and Cyrano Jones, albeit very badly done. And but I remember as as a teenager, you know, kind of thinking, oh, this is you know, fun. I mean, he's he's silly, you know, a lot of gifts, lots of happy music, lots and lots of happy music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, Maya's little gag at the very end. Uh, so when I watched it, and I, and I watched it today. Um, I I was just mortified at the fact that I could actually like this episode at any time in my life. I think that's a I think that's a very good assessment. I don't recall whether I I I, I mean I know I've seen the episode, and I knew, you know, when it started up, it's like, oh yeah, he's after Maya. Uh, not that he wasn't creeping on her hard uh, throughout the entire episode, but uh, I I can't remember liking or disliking it but watching this i can't imagine i ever liked it it's one Mm. of those it's like i'm not embarrassed i liked it because i just don't remember but i could see that if i did remember that i liked it i would be embarrassed by the fact that i had once liked it well i am yeah yeah. i'm 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 not just embarrassed i'm ashamed that i liked it for so many reasons i mean a you there's there's it's just disgusting um the, the treatment of maya and then b uh Purely from any kind of uh, – I, I hate to use the word realistic because th- that just seems <laughs> yeah. so bizarre in this conversation. But um, any any kind of credibility that the episode might have been able to achieve was lost very early on. And to, and let, let, let me hit on one other thing because uh, there, there were a number of little button issues that, that just really you know poked, poked their heads out at me. We learn that Tabor travels through hyperspace. Oh, and the ship. Ah, the Emporium. Isn't that nice? Yes, it's Emporium, yes. Hmm. So he talks about how he zips in hyperspace. Now, this is a term that, well, obviously, when we consider when this series was written, we know what hyperspace is. It's been talked about in science fiction and, you know, for God knows how long. So here we are. Theoretically, post-1999, for where the story is taking place, and not one person on Alpha knows what hyperspace is? Didn't Koenig – didn't we learn last year that Koenig had some um, astrophysical theories that thought might be proven true? Uh, And I think that was, what, in Black Sun? He – it was something about um, unified – theory it was i think it was a unified theory okay but the point is is that that's supposed to tell us that koenig is not stupid he has some kind of a scientific education yet he has no clue what hyperspace is seriously yeah. i mean i'm so, i mean i realize that seems like such a small thing but it really um yeah that one kind of like it 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 set my teeth a gnashing yeah, I yeah, among other things. <laughs> amongst amongst other things. So, um I uh, I posted a, a a link on Facebook yesterday or this morning or something. Um and unfortunately I don't have it in front of me, therefore I'm going to mangle it. So I I would uh I would say go check out our Facebook page and and check out the link, but it's um a book The Physics and Astronomy of Science Fiction. I think it is. Mhm. And um, 
it's it's clearly it's clearly uh, written by a physicist who has some nerd cred on his uh, old American television, uh, and so it it highlights a lot of different shows over the years and the good and the bad. Basically bad. It's always bad. Science fiction TV. It's always it's always bad. Generally, yes, it's yeah, pretty poor. Yeah, um, it, it, you as, know, as a, evidenced by the things that we talk about, it's a fascinating. It's a fascinating book, and I love I love science, and I love you know when you pick up these topics and 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 talk about them. But of course, at the same time, it's an enormously depressing book because you realize we're stuck on this rock forever. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the universe is just not cooperating with us getting off this planet. So no, I think. I, well, to be honest, I think the universe has placed a quarantine on us. But <laughs> that's another subject. But it, it was. And I can't remember the hyperspace discussion, um, but I did note that the black hole discussion, because we had this discussion last year um, about when we knew about black holes. And I, mm-hmm. if I'm recalling what I was reading the other day correctly, uh, we theorized them prior to having any black hole candidates. And right. the black hole candidates came after Space 1999. That is correct. Space, uh, high, uh, black suns. So, whenever when they were when they were spewing off about black suns and and whatnot, they were still in a very very much hypothetical um, uh, piece of of relativity theory. So, eh, not you know, not as excusable, or perhaps a little more excusable in some of the concepts that were much older. Mm-hmm. Right? However, I think uh, I'm looking I'm looking here at uh, Wikipedia. I think the first appearance in science fiction is 1931 for hyperspace. So, I don't have an exact citation for what story that came from, but um so yes, but it, it, Koenig it, it, should have that, known about it. Right. And that that indicates that uh the the idea on at least some sort of, you know, clearly a theoretical level, um that, you know, that hyperspace as a term is there. I mean, it's part of the scientific vernacular on some level. I mean, or at least on a science pop culture level. So I would yeah. imagine that a scientist, I mean, that like Koenig should know about that. Okay, so a couple things here. One, isn't that odd that Koenig didn't? And I'll, I'll get to that for a moment. But even more odd, isn't it odd that Maya? Maya should have known about it. Yes. But agreed. Koenig- in his contract, always has to be right, always has to be the star. You'd think that somebody else like Yasko would go, hyperspace? What is hyperspace? And then Koenig could espouse his superior knowledge, but it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. This is one of the few times when Koenig has appeared – well, idiot. it's not one of the few times he's appeared an idiot. It's one of the few times he appeared uninformed mm. on a topic because he frequently is an idiot lately. But um, – yeah, I, I thought that structure was was odd that he didn't know that they didn't have somebody else feed it to him so that he could be the big damn hero. Well, um, and, for, and for, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he must have agreed to, you know, that stipulation in the script or that 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 um, that storyline in the script where he doesn't know what it is. But um, upon accepting that, he probably then added the caveat, but nobody else can tell me what it is. Could be. <laughs> Because otherwise, even they Maya. Written, yeah, yeah, Maya would have jumped right up. You know, says, "Oh, Commander, hyperspace is," and then you know, and then then Koenig really would have looked like a fool, and that's something Martin Landa would have never allowed. Yeah. So, uh-huh. I, I don't, uh huh. I yeah, I don't know, and <laughs> I don't know there. Um, but it was it was odd. Um, and I also there's an underlying theme throughout this episode. That uh, Tabor – well, I think in the end we ultimately realize Tabor has contempt for the humans. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're he, he demonstrates stupid. that. He demonstrates he shows that, that they're yeah. too stupid. He sends them gifts. They're too dumb to read them. Um, then he comes to the moon base. They ask him for his jump drive, and he's like, you're too dumb to play with toys. Mm. Um, and then he has like the weirdest – he has a manner that – and this is just poor writing – where he keeps doing things to introduce faux um, peril into the story. Hello, I'm going to arrive on your planet. Who are you? Oh, no, I'm coming in. No, no, don't come in. Who are you? 
Hey, I'd like permission to land. No, no, you cannot have permission to land. Tell us who you are. I'm a landing. Right? Foe, like, threat. That even though he says, I'm, I come in peace, it's, that's, you know, the best they've got towards their pre-credit, mm-hmm. post-pre-credit cliffhanger. And then what does he do when he gets there? He shows up, he pops into their base, he materializes a tank gun on the surface of the planet. Right? Just like, look, yeah, a tank weapon. Yeah, Everyone's like, yeah, dun, dun, he's, dun. He's, and that, that comes off as, you know, being threatening. And then, oh, don't worry, it's just an illusion. Bing. Why did he do that? I, I, there's never even any in-story reason for it. No, Why there isn't. Why did he do it? Why couldn't he have materialized a carnival or a big happy elephant or something else? But instead, he materializes a big cannon pointing at the moon base so that we can go to, to credit. It's just, it's appallingly stupid. And then there's the sequence later on where he, uh, has Koenig aboard the ship, and everyone's worried, and suddenly he goes, and Koenig's like, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm taking you to a zoo, or the slave mines of Kessel, or yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. And then it's like, dun-dun-dun, turns out he's evil, and he needs slaves or zoo specimens. No, I'm just joking, Commander. Was he joking? I'm not sure. Well, he seems to, he, he came back with, I'm not gonna take it to the zoo yeah when cody you know, put a laser weapon to his head right i was kidding you know but he said it you know that's where you belong the yeah zoo. Well, uh, you know keeping with that whole contempt you people are too stupid to understand my hyperdrive you two people are too stupid to understand the toys um you two and if he's are too and, stupid to trade well right and I if he's willing to uh you know play that little um th- th- that little game of deception yeah, and take the real Maya. You know that kind of shows that yeah, he ha- he has complete contempt for humans. So it's very possible that maybe he really would have fired that big gun that that materialized on the moon, or maybe he really would have taken Koenig to some kind of a zoo because he just doesn't think that highly of human beings. <clears throat> so yeah. Um, another thing we can talk about Space 1999 in general is it my imagination because I don't think it is I think they had this in the first series too but I think it's more so now aliens are only aliens because they have funny hair well that seems to be the uh, the universal pattern um, is that just because it's cheap yeah, it's easy. It's easy, and who knows? Maybe that really was a '70s sensibility when, at the time they were making it. You know, that only you know, extraterrestrial, you know, any any kind of extraterrestrial life would have a hairstyle that is completely alien to us. Whereas in the '80s and '90s, it was lumpy things on your nose and forehead. Yeah, well, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I'm not a fan. Well, especially in this case. I mean, I've seen others that were kind of okay, but in this case, it was just uh, – it, it. to be honest, um, at one point, I thought they were ears because he had these two big things of hair that were kind of drooping down on his shoulder. And at the right angle, I thought, oh, man, he's got big elf ears that droop. <laughs> the droopy elf. Yeah. Well, even Maya as, as an alien is just basically hair. I mean, there's – there's a little bit of coloration on her cheeks, but yeah, but her hair is stylish. Well, but it, you I know, mean, she doesn't. I mean, it's not weird hair. Well, but look at her dad. Okay, yeah, mentor had I, weird hair, but she have kind of. I mean, but her hair isn't like insanely bizarre. No, 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 it's not. But you know, and I and I completely get why they did that instead of Spock ears. Takes less time in the chair. Oh God, yeah. You know, just uh, do up her blush in a sort of brown sideburns coming down look and 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 go but um uh it it just it 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 really doesn't work in particular in this episode the tabor just looks awful it's it's just a and i can't tell if that's really his fat or whether or not there's a a suit pillows shoved under there Ooh, well. hard to say he had a pudgy face oh yeah i'm sure he's a i'm sure he's a plus-sized actor 
Yeah, but I think just... they I th- they probably um yeah, they padded him extra for that. Um but he he's not svelte by any means, no. 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 And I don't know that actor either. I mean his face is vague. The eyes sort of reminded me of someone, but the name didn't ring any bells. And no, I, I had the same. I had the same thought. I mean, there was something about this guy that, yeah, I thought you know maybe I've seen him like in the prisoner or something, but no, the name means nothing to me. So, <clears throat> oh, let's see, what else have we got? Well, I mean, we could talk about his inappropriate behavior with Maya. Um, I um. I, you know, I thought it was nice that Maya was wearing her Saigon dress. As nice as she, well, dinner party. Hey, she, can, still, she, she can whip that up anytime she wants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amongst other things. But yeah. Um, you know, whereas like at the party before they were making up earth style dresses, I thought it was interesting that she would choose to wear her original outfit. Um, kind of like native culture fair or something. But, um, yeah, it it was again 1970s sensibilities, and the guy sitting at a table grabbing grabbing the leg of uh, of Maya. Uh, really, it's cringe-inducing. Mm-hmm. Cringe-inducing. Now, but my question is this: Did she only transform her hand? You know, that's what it seemed like to me. Me too, because they never showed her. And no. he didn't know she was a metamorph, presumably Not at that point. the pain he was in when she grabbed his what to cause him that much pain? Mm. Like, uh, maybe, not sure. Now we're friends. Also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he likes Tony's beer. Yeah, well, okay, but was nice and in a bit of uh, self-effacing humor. Even Tony has to come back with anybody who likes my beer is not worth trusting. Yes. Yes, that's his six for potency and three for flavor beer. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what Tony should call it. Tony's six for three beer. Six for three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that reminds me of an episode of The Prisoner also. Well, that's uh, one for six. Six for one and one for all or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, he... he Ugh. And another reason why I just do not like the uh, do not like the episode is that it, it 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 makes me feel like I need to go take a shower and not yeah I feel you know, filthy yeah you, you just it's like oh somebody shoot him just just shoot him Koenig just shoot him for crying out loud shoot him and take his jump drive mm-hmm. um we get once again. Although it's a plot point in this episode, but once again, hey, maybe we could go back to Earth. Everyone's like, oh, we could go back to Earth. Maya's like, yeah, mm. uh, well, yeah, my, and uh, can we get a little bit of a reminder? What kind of condition Earth is in? Oh, yeah, but we which don't we found care. Out last week, but we don't care, do we? Apparently not. What is Earth. it that they were saying in that episode? Who needs nature? Who needs nature? Ugh. Yeah, that was that was another. It's like, could could you find us a planet? No, you wouldn't sit anywhere. That's uh, also contemptuous. Um, but especially throughout it. the entire known universe, and uh, from what we gather, um, the Tabor has been uh, doing the traveling for the very long time, <laughs> and he couldn't find the planet to put the Alphans on. No, to be I mean, fair, no, it, would he it, go it was, to planets that didn't have people on them? I mean, if you're jumping through hyperspace, you're probably, he was probably going only going. True, he was to probably only going to planets colonies. that were yeah. populated. But you would have thought oh, well, that why he. Why would he find the moon? You would have thought that he would have encountered something along his travels that would have suited um, humanoid life. Yes, but of course he wasn't really interested in in helping. No, he wasn't. Thing. It was all all BS. But yeah, once again, Maya gives the whole oh, "Earth's not my home" kind of thing, and my I, home's destroyed. So here, here's my thought. The Alphans are all stranded on a rock, living on a knife's edge. They want to get off that planet, or they want to get off that moon. They want to get back to a planet. Sure, they want to. They want to find a. They want to find a new home. Maya is also stranded on a rock, living on a knife's edge, 
right? They are the fact that they're, they're not in all it together. The same, they're all in it together. Wouldn't you think? All right, let me ask this question. Let, let's let's dissect this slightly differently. If they found a beautiful new planet, uh, nothing on it except animals that all taste like bacon, you know, or. <laughs> That are, you know, completely senseless creatures that just, they actually ask to be eaten. And I mean, you know, perfect, perfect place for human beings and psychons. Would she be happy if they found that planet? Is it, is it literally sour grapes that the humans might get to find Earth again? Or is it, I don't want to leave Alpha because Alpha's my home now? Um, I kind of took it as, just a bitter reminder that her it's home bitter. is gone. That's right. If they had said, take us anywhere else, she should have been happy. Yeah. But instead, oh, could you take us to Earth? Oh, my mm. home is gone. It's like, okay, you Maya. You your place. Shouldn't you she be happy for them? Yeah, Maya, move on. You be coming with us. Of course, they're not going to abandon her. She knows that. And yet she's... She 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 just gets all you know almost all emo about it. I don't have a home. Every time, Psychon was destroyed. You know, okay, yeah, we get that. Move on. Yeah, <clears throat> I, that was that was that's my take on it. It's it's literally it's because they're talking about Earth. It's not that they're mm-hmm. talking about finding a new place to live. It's that they're talking about Earth in particular. Exactly. And she isn't happy for them, and and that's that doesn't fit with her personality. No, it doesn't. Really, she's far more compassionate than any of the people in Alpha. You would think that that would be. I'm, anyway, so let's talk about let's talk about the big elephant in the room, which I, in a way, I really appreciated it. I I did really appreciate this uh, conversation because although it was stupid, at least it acknowledged a couple of things that we fought about in in conversation in mm-hmm. the past. They have traveled to a different galaxy. Yes. So we now They've know jumped that. through space. Well, they could have jumped through space and stayed in the same galaxy. Yeah, but but yeah, now it's clear as a bell. They are like way the heck out of the Milky Way. And and it seemed to be almost like they understood the terms. Well, it sounded like Tabor understood the terms. It didn't sound like Koenig understood the terms, but it, it sounded like at least Tabor got, you know, it's like, well, this is the first time I've encountered a moon. That's intergalactic. And well, of course he understood the terms. He's got a, he has a business card written in English. Yes. He has a ship that's called the Emporium. But of course he understands the terms. But I think it was a galactic license, not an intergalactic license. Well, still. If I'm not mistaken, but... Um, anyhow, anyhow, so so where's... Uh, what, what galaxy are you in? Oh, we're in a galaxy M104. Okay, great. Brings up M104. <clears throat> And uh, and what uh, what's the universal quadrant? Um, and we're halfway between PKS one one four eight hundred and three C four fifty four, right? Right. But what's the universal coordinate? Uh, we're, we're we're nearby NCG one eighty five and uh, and one M thirty three. You don't know where you come from, do you? No, not really. No. Well, how can I find your home if you don't know where you live from? Uh, but here's my point. Those are Earth designations. Mm-hmm. Those are catalog references, if I'm not mistaken. They are in from from a human our, perspective. Our stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, two questions come out of that. Why on Earth would Koenig think that that would have any reference meaning to Tabor? And yet it does, because when he says M104, he brings up that galaxy. But then promptly Koenig is trying to explain where that galaxy is, and he, he, he can't, so, but we found it, so there you go. And, and then the second question is, what idiot, when naming galaxies, named the galaxy we're in M104? Hmm. Why aren't we M100? M1? Yeah. Right? Why M104? Are you saying they discovered 103 other galaxies before they figured out we were in a galaxy? Or they decided they just want to start with 100 and they discovered three before us. Yeah. But however you slice it, we're not the first galaxy that our own scientists were to have discovered. 
Yeah, there, there is there is there is something that when you're talking about planets, we're number one, right? And when we're talking about solar systems, ours should be number one. I mean, that's from an Earth centric standpoint. I'm not. Well, it is. I mean, that. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. Of course, it's very Earth centric. I mean, just go back into history and, and and see. I mean, and even today, there are some small pockets of of the population that believe that Earth literally is in the center of the entire universe. I mean, that's as Earth-centrist as you're going to get. I hope somebody lost their job over that M104 thing. Oh, that'd be lovely. So, wait a minute. Wait. You didn't register our galaxy first? Uh, well, no, because we were, like, thinking, you know, Andromeda, and uh, and then and then somebody goes, oh, hey, what about us? Like, no. <laughs> it's like, no, no. I didn't think we mattered that much. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Have we got anything else? Um, oh, that God, bit of, if we did, it's a miracle. It was that bit of drama where they had the Alphans out on the surface when the hyperspace ship was coming back and they had to rush. Oh, spare me. A little bit of faux peril there. Yeah, um, another, but, yeah uh, more faux peril. Fortunately, it um, didn't happen. Uh, so uh, it, was it was padding. Okay. Padding. And uh, the duplicate Maya. Oh. Two questions. When did we get that technology? And why do we have that technology? Exactly. Like, <laughs> now, maybe, extrapolating forward, maybe they were predicting the 3D printer before we <laughs> before well, it had been thought of. But that didn't appear to be what they were doing. No. Uh, and it is kind of, well, I haven't seen that kind of technology actually applied in a more practical sense uh, but maybe and 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 I I can't believe that it's a question of raw material uh, limitations because if that were the case, then I would imagine that lots of raw materials were used in order to create this one. However, Koenig did want that hyperdrive, that hyperspace really jump bad. drive. So really um, I, he may have been willing to forego, you know, and, and lift any raw material restrictions need, you know, that were that were present just so that he could construct the fake Maya. And, um, again, why do they have something that can do the equipment to do that? But, but what, you know, it didn't move, but it The mouth didn't even move. The mouth didn't even move, but it talked because it had a quote unquote computer inside of it. And when we saw it blow up, it looked like it was meant to be a robot inside. Although Tony called it a waxwork figure. He's fooled by a wax... He's willing to take a waxwork figure with a computer in it to talk. He's not right in the head. Hmm. Right? So it, it's still coming down to what was that thing? Was that just a mannequin, basically? Well, essentially, yes. Just a mannequin that had a tape recorder inside of it. We, we, pulled, we pulled a mannequin from the Alpha gift store where you know visitors can buy the Alpha t-shirts. And we have the... <laughs> I would love to think that somewhere on Moonbase Alpha, when when visitors leave to go to the Eagle Dock to fly back to Earth, they have mm. to pass through a gift shop. Oh, oh, you know that's so Disney. <laughs> that's so everywhere. That's true. That's so everywhere. I love a little shop. Um, <laughs> like, uh, they missed something right there in that one. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, a little gift shop would have been hilarious with Space Nine tonight, you know, uh, or Moonbase moon alpha. alpha memorabilia. Mm-hmm. I could use a, I could use a Moonbase Alpha baseball cap, DKNY toy eagles. Yeah, and uh, the yeah the baseball cap and the T shirt. So it's like the really lame T shirt that's that, it's, of course, has short sleeves, but just has like one sleeve as a color. Mm. <laughs> it's like the Moonbase Alpha shirts. Right, I love it. I'm, I want that shop. <laughs> I doubt I could make a living at it, but I want that shop. Mm-hmm. There's also an interesting line in this episode. Um, when Tabor's talking about his jump drive and how he really doesn't understand it. And Koenig is kind of doubting that. He must know more about that than he's saying, right? You what know, is, well, I would hope so. And what is it that Maya says in response to that? Do you remember? No, actually, I don't. It's easy for people to use computers, but they don't need to oh, know that's what's right. going on. 
That's now, right. Oh, God, yeah. Now, I would be willing to buy the argument if Tony, uh, Maya, if Tony had said, lots of people can drive a car, John, but they but, don't but know they're how not to mechanics. Yeah. Get mechanics. Okay. But from everything we've seen on Moonbase Alpha, nobody knows how to use a computer except for the computer expert guy. And he's gone. And he's gone. Well, now they got Maya to use the computer for them. But yeah, most of the people really aren't, quote, unquote, using the computer. So that's kind of an odd line. And it's kind of an odd line for the era. Because at that time, you know, I'd say most people couldn't use a computer. I mean, at all. You sit down mm-hmm. and it's like, what do I do? Of course, it would be a teletype, but right at that age. So I thought it was an odd line. Um and of course, honestly, here we are in 2017, and I'm not convinced that most people can use a computer anyway. So um, that's that's the cynical years of tech support person in me <laughs> talking on that one. But uh, no, they cannot easily use computers, and but they do not know what it does <laughs> inside. Anyway, okay, let's talk about the perfume. Tabor gives a gift to Helena mm-hmm. of this incredibly rare perfume collected by robot drones in hyperspace, collecting the last remnants of a destroyed star planet. I don't remember which it was, but it was, I don't recall. It was a destroyed thing, and they collected the essence of it and turned it into a perfume, which essence of dead civilization sounds like a scent that every woman would love to have oh yeah because yeah just the yeah wearing it makes me hot the the description of that was so was like uh you know no i think i think no thank you but no but then she goes and puts it on and we get some of that trademark barbara bain doesn't seem to act doesn't seem to act, know how to act, like she's under the influence of drugs. Mm-hmm. Which I find that hard to believe. Um, but she's so bad at it. We're, we're back almost to, oh, John will come along eventually. If he feels oh. like he's being such a, he's being such a stuffy nose. That. Her her acting is back at that level on this in this scene. Yikes! And of course, John comes into the room. I was going to say he comes into the room all hot and heavy about something, but that's that's the wrong way to phrase it. But he comes mm. in the room, smells the perfume, and then he's immediately caught up in this. Uh, what I'm guessing is uh, aphrodisiac effect. You no, know, there's some some kind of pheromones that are going on there, or something. That, but yeah, it's it's an aphrodisiac. Well, Helena's flying. She's oh not she's just, oh yeah, yeah she's, she's not just horny. She's flying. Koenig seems to be coming in and, and, and just being getting aroused. Yeah. But, but Dr. Russell is like, we can do anything we want. <laughs> Except have a facial expression. Yeah. <laughs> because my face won't move. Yes, there we go. And uh, we love you, Barbara. We really do. We really, really do. do. Even though your frozen face from all that Botox and pulled, you know, pulled surgery doesn't express it. And um, so, you know, John fights it off because he's John. I can overcome the effects of anything. It's in my contract. Um, But I just thought that was just a – her acting was so bad. It it reminds me of – our listeners won't know anything about this, so it doesn't, I don't need to give the context, but we were doing something years ago, Ben and I and some other people were doing. Oh, dear. Uh, yes, some, some television for public access TV. And we needed a scene where we had a character who was a wino. And, you know, you had to buy a bottle in a bag. And just the way it worked out, the way we used to do the show, it was, it was almost at a level of improv where it's like, uh, you do this. And yeah, there's no script. No script. Or, or what script was like me feeding lines going, here's what I want you to say. No, they, they were just bas- they were, they're, they're just cues. Is all yeah, they, were. they were cues. That's right. <clears throat> Run with it. And for whatever reason, the person that needed to be doing the drunk was a friend of mine who, who is um, 
amongst other things, basically incapable of having alcohol because of a, a number of allergies and conditions. So he, the man's never been drunk in his life. Never. Right? <clears throat> Worst drunk acting I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, just absolutely terrible. Which is fine. You know, I should have thought of that at the time. It's like, well, I mean, he's got nothing to relate to. Yeah, but at the same time, to. you know, you'd like to think that, well, you must have seen some drunk acting on television, but. Well, you see it, and then, you know, if you can't apply it, then you don't <clears throat> get it. And I, I, you know, fine. You're not an actor. But my point is, that's exactly what Barbara Russell seemed to be doing. This seemed to be, Barbara, you're on drugs. You're flying. Go. Well, is this any different than yet, adults that, you know, you know we've seen kidding. this in so many t- TV shows and movies where uh, you have, you know, this adult and for whatever reason, they're supposed to play like a six-year-old. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it is. It's very similar. It's very similar to that. And very, very rarely do you see anyone that can pull that off. But somehow I just genuinely have a hard time believing that Barbara Bain and Martin Landau can't relate personal experience hmm. to this but it, it was it was as if barbara russell had uh, barbara russell barbara bain barbara bain dr russell dr barbara helena bain uh could relate at all she's just like i'm flying <laughs> like okay i don't i don't i personally i personally cannot relate actually but no. but I don't think that's what they do. <laughs> well, I can relate because I, I have been that blasted out of my brains on more than one occasion, but that's not the behavior. Mm. So it was just it was poor acting. We're just picking on her acting because we have nothing else to pick on in this episode. Um, well, I mean, and we picked on her poor face for so much that it's ready to crack. Yes. And when you say pick, you mean with an actual pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with, with, yes, with an actual pick, because that's the only thing that's going to crack through that skin of hers. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. I got nothing else. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really have nothing else. I mean, this episode was just void of anything substantial. Actually, I do have one other thing, but I... Oh, my God, really? I do. I do. Well, I don't have anything else substantive about the story. I just have the one... Uh, I was the last, the final scene after Tony makes a complete prat of himself talking to Maya. And that's the scene where John is looking at Dr. Russell and he says, I was thinking about that perfume. Remember that line? Yes, I do. And her response is, well, keep thinking. Keep thinking. We don't need his perfume. (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. (laughs) (laughs) Creepy people flirting. (laughs) It's like, I don't like it. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's one thing to, you know, accept the fact that, yeah, at the time they were married in real life and we know that the characters are supposed to be kind of like, a thing, but when you're talking about you know Miss Stoneface saying something like that, who can you, who can't act her way out of a corner, you know, and then delivers that delivers the line to somebody who's got you know one of the biggest has an ego bigger than the moon in this series, it, it comes off really poorly. And again, are they or aren't they? Can't tell. I kind of I kind of got the feeling that they were. Yeah, that. Are they or aren't they? They are. They play it strangely, strangely distant. And yet, right? There's just something unnatural about it. And and it's almost like, you know, towards the end of Lala Ward's time on Doctor Who, when the, Mm -hmm. the two of them couldn't stand each other? Was it that bad? It was, apparently, there towards the last few episodes. I guess you, you can practically, Tom Baker will barely look her in the eyes. even Because in my scene. understanding is, I mean, you know, and I don't want to get too far off subject, although since we've got nothing else to talk about, I, my understanding is that they got married after she left the show. I, I think they went through some tempestuous times. I understand there was some real... Uh, um, well, later on, definitely. I mean, you, no, you while they were filming, like... Um, uh, what, like Warrior's Gator you know, around that time? Before that one. What's the vampire one? Uh, the, uh, oh, State, State of, of Decay. Decay. State of Decay. I understand there were some problems there. Really? I don't know, maybe that was before they got married. I mean, it you know it could very well be that they were up and down 
kind of seems kind of like that might be Tom Baker's personality. Um, well, I do know that you know, and again, we don't want to go too far off subject, but hey, why the heck not? We got nothing else to talk about because we know Barbara um, Landa, Barbara Landa, and Martin Bain. <laughs> Boy, we are having I'm having an evening on the names. That's, uh, was uh, it the wine? It was. The wine. <laughs> it was the wine. I didn't have that much wine. Um, yeah, a little bit, but uh, so you're having a drunk moment. I'm having a. I'm apparently having my drunk moment. Yes. Um, if I can get drunk on half a glass of wine, I'm in serious, serious trouble. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the club. But but it, it's it's it makes for a good. I mean, I don't know how long. You know, when did their marriage break up? I have no idea. Are we I know that about they Martin were Landau or, or Tom Baker now. <laughs> um, either <laughs> either one, either one. Um, I and think in the case of Tom, I know that for many years you couldn't even mention Lala Ward without him. You know, looking like he had indigestion. Mm-hmm. As far as Martin and Barbara go, um, I mean, I have no idea how that all ended out. I mean, obviously, you know, they they, they divorced. Um, when I did, you read anything? Any statement from Barbara Bain after Martin Landau died? Because I didn't. No, no. Which kind of, and you know, you know that they would have reached out to her. Although they did get divorced in '93. Really, that late? Apparently. Hmm. Didn't know it was. Uh, that they were together for that long. Yeah. They, wow. They, uh, they were together for 36 years, had two children, and divorced in 1993. Damn. Okay. I'm impressed. Uh, everyone can be prepared for the next wonderful episode. It is. <laughs> okay. The next episode... <laughs> It's the rules of Luton. Oh, my God. Oh, no. No, not that one. Rules of Luton. <laughs> which is Yikes. written by Charles Woodgrove, which is a pen name for Fred Freiberger. The first no. episode written by Fred Freiberger. So if you want to see what Mr. Freiberger's vision for Space 1999 really was... This is our first glimpse into the story. Swell. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me through this trip down. <laughs> down. The, oh, I, I, it, it was uh, the, amusing. The Tabor. And <laughs> listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.